This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Education Matters. As we take a deeper dive into the big issues facing Ohio's 1.7 million public school students and the more than 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members represented by the Ohio Education Association. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the OEA communications team. And if you've been a regular listener, you have heard. Ohio's school funding system is broken. It's unconstitutional, and it forces communities to make an impossible choice. Higher property taxes or fewer opportunities for their kids. The Fair School Funding Plan would change that and finally deliver a student-centered formula that's equitable, adequate, predictable, and that ensures that all kids have the resources to succeed, regardless of where they live or their family's income. It was introduced as House Bill 1 this legislative session, but it's the culmination of years of work and a bipartisan partnership between now Ohio House Speaker Bob Cup and former Ohio lawmaker John Patterson, who left the legislature at the end of 2020 because of term limits. Patterson, a retired history teacher who represented Ohio's 99th House District, hasn't stopped fighting to get this bill passed, though. So we sat down for a conversation with him. Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Education Matters. Of course, the big topic we're all discussing right now is the Fair School Funding Plan. What is that and where is it right now? Well, thanks for having me, Katie. And it's important that we have these conversations because it is now HB1 in the Ohio House, which means it's priority legislation. So why is education a priority? If you think back, there have been not one, two, three, but four Duroff cases in which the Supreme Court has held that the manner in which Ohio's legislature, state government essentially, funds our schools is unconstitutional. And this is an effort to address the uh, challenges that the Supreme Court outlined in their four Duroff findings. There were a number of things that came out of DeRolf, and some of which we have addressed. School facilities, the funding for new buildings and such, you can put a check mark there, we're making great progress. But the day-to-day expenditures has remained a problem. And I say that this for two reasons. It all comes down to adequacy and equity. And the adequate component of an education plan has never fully been addressed. What is an adequate amount of dollars that we need to provide to fund a typical student in the state of Ohio? What this school funding plan has done is we've consulted experts throughout the state, treasurers, superintendents, actual practitioners to arrive at those numbers. And one of our subcommittees dealt with the base cost. What does it cost to put a teacher in the classroom? What does it cost to have a building run? What does it cost to have a district run? What does it cost to have the supplementals within the realm? Because we know that those supplementals uh, are are critically important to the overall development of a child. These are costs that you're pretty well familiar with because of your time in the classroom. You're a retired U.S. history teacher. How do you think that shapes your ability to make the case to other lawmakers who maybe don't have that same experience? It, it, It helps me a lot because In addition to being a classroom teacher, I was also the Model United Nations advisor for 28 years. In fact, I served with one of my former students, Kristen Boggs, 
uh, I was a cross country coach. I was uh, uh, the academic challenge advisor for 28 years. And in addition to that, I was a chief negotiator for our union. So whenever we would go in to negotiations and talk about what is fair for the district, what is fair for our teachers, the, the stumbling block that always came up, the, the wall that always came up with this, John, we'd like to do something for you, but we have to do a five-year forecast and try to figure out what the state's going to give to us or not to give to us on a two-year budget. So part of the problem with the extracurriculars and the add-on programs that, that schools would like to do, the reason those have been pushed to the wayside is the fact that school districts cannot count on a sustainable and predictable stream of funding from the state. And no one wants to start an extra program that might benefit students and not be able to pay for it in the long run. So as an educator, knowing that students come to school not only because they have to, but it's beyond the academics, the normal academics. It is those enrichment courses. It is things like vocational agriculture, which has taken a hit in some of our areas. Uh, consumer science. I had students, admittedly, who came to school only to participate in a sport. That's, that was a gateway. Whatever it takes to get students interested and get them there and to provide an education, I think is important. And some of those add-ons, if you will, have been shortchanged because of the state budget. So what we've done, we averaged the cost, the typical cost of a teacher throughout the state of Ohio. And then we have a pupil-teacher ratio. So we know exactly what research says in terms of how many teachers you need for X amount of students in the various grade levels. It's different, uh, more for the lower elementaries and less teachers for the upper grade levels the cost of an athletic director, the cost of a superintendent, the cost of uh, just running a building, the, the normal maintenance, wear and tear, all that has been determined in the base cost. And if we take a statewide average, nothing can be more adequate when, than what the statewide average is for the base cost of a pupil. Some students are more expensive than that base cost when you're talking about um, special sure. education, English language learners, even rural transportation, all of those things add up. And that's why then, in addition to the base costs, we have what are called the categoricals, which then address the English language learners and the transportation and those special needs students. That was figured out as well in this comprehensive formula. Career tech is another one. Education service centers, gifted education. All of those costs are included in the formula. Now, the other side of the, 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 the criticism for the DeRolf was the distribution model. In other words, is it equitable across the board? So keep in mind that once we know what the base cost is, then we need to determine what the fair share is for the local districts to raise and what the fair share then for the state is to contribute to pay for that education. So everything starts from the base cost and the categoricals. You figure that out, now, now then you can get in this distribution. So what is fair? Well, we have to look at what's called local capacity. In other words, what is the fair share that the state can expect, because this is a partnership, even if this passes, and I dearly hope it does, but there's levies aren't gonna go away. Let me be absolutely clear. According to the state constitution, this is a shared partnership between the local government and the state government to educate all of Ohio's kids. But where we have fallen short is to fairly determine what the local share is. So what this formula has done 
is to break down that distribution. And here's the funding uh, situation with respect to DeRolf. We have been over-reliant on property wealth to determine what a local capacity is. So some districts who were at one time blessed with power plants, with industry, with businesses that were thriving, were perceived to be wealthy because they had those assets based on property. The problem is that districts can be property wealthy on paper and the state then can expect them to pay more, but their citizens may not have the income wealth to pay for that property. So the only way to pay for those higher property taxes that the state would have a district pay is for those people to dig deeper into their pockets in a farming community, they may actually have to sell some of their land in order to pay their taxes. Bottom line is what we've done with this distribution model is base it not only on property wealth, but on income wealth too. And it's a 60-40 split. So if we factor in a district's property wealth and, and their income wealth, now we get a more accurate prediction of what that district's capacity is. So if we know what the base cost is and we know what transportation is and all those things, we know what the whole package is to pay for, and we know then what that local district is able to afford, then who pays the rest? The state. In theory, it's that simple. In theory. (laughs) (laughs) In theory, it's all that simple. One of the things that proponents of this bill have been very excited about is how this addresses the funding for um, vouchers and charters. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Right now, the state the vouchers and the, the charter schools, they get the base rate and it's uh, $6,020. So that money follows the pupil. The problem is it goes through the local districts. It is called a deduction or as they say in educational jargon, a deduct. So if the state's local contribution to a district is $3,000, and the district is expected to come up with $6,020 for that student, that means $3,020 from that local district that those taxpayers have actually brought on themselves to pay flows out of that district and follows that student. In the fair school funding plan, the state would pay those charter school students, those community school directly. There'd be no pastor, which means that money is going to stay right with the local districts. And that has been something that has been applauded uh, in many, many districts who lose incredible amounts of dollars to this uh, reality. If we're going to have charters and we're going to have communities, then the state ought to pay them directly as it already does the, the traditional public schools. And there has been so much time and discussion put into figuring out exactly how that should work. Can you talk to me a little bit about the process of getting to where we are with the fair school funding plan? Oh my goodness. We need to go back to 2013 in December when I founded the Education Funding Caucus to get that conversation started. Now we know that the first DeRolf decision came down in 1997. So we've been all those decades now without a funding formula. That's why I ran for the state house. As a retired teacher, I saw the impacts of what was happening when things were getting cut and the damage it was doing to our students and the morale factor for our students. Why should I come to school? The only thing that counts is, of course, where I have to get tested anyway. So I asked then in, in my second term, and that would be in 2015, to be placed on finance committee. And my chair was this guy named Bob Cup. He too had been 
involved in the school funding issue for quite some time. We grew to be trusted uh, friends across the aisle, and we encountered some of these problems firsthand in the primary secondary subcommittee on school finance. There was a district, Manchester Local, and this goes back to the distribution component that we were talking about earlier. Uh, their superintendent or treasurer testified that they were, there were two, two coal-fired power plants closing in their district, and they were going to need a levy of a, a 120 or 130 mills. I said that right, 120 or 130 mills just to keep things operating. That's preposterous because they had all that property wealth, but they didn't have the income wealth. And so we were able to fudge the formula to move money in their direction in the short run to help them out. The problem was we realized the formula was absolutely broken. And so then uh, we made our pledge after the next budget and the next more, more Band-Aids came as a result of 2017 that we would get started on a real comprehensive plan to fix this. And so the real meeting of the minds came in, in started in September of 2017 when we began to assemble these treasurers and superintendents throughout the state, rural districts, urban districts, districts with wealth, districts with not a lot of wealth. I mean, everybody's there at the table. And the idea was to develop a plan that was fair for all of Ohio's children, fair for all of Ohio's districts, and fair for the state of Ohio. Fast forward three years, we finally get it to a vote in the House. It was House Bill 305 back then. Overwhelming majority of the House members, both parties supported it. And then it sat there because the Senate didn't take it up before the end of the legislative term. How did you react to that? How were you feeling at that point? Well, disappointed because we came so close to the peak. Uh, we likened it at times to climbing a mountain and we didn't want to get lost and leave our Sherpas behind us and, and not get to the summit. But on the other hand, it is so complex. Every time we thought we had something figured out, and this is then Representative Cup and I, there came to be another wrinkle that we weren't aware of. And, and time went by and what should have happened, our goal was to have been where we are now two years ago to present a totally comprehensive plan to the House Finance Committee and uh, incorporate it into the budget. Well, we kept coming across these obstacles that we weren't aware of uh, totally. Then you have to stop, do a timeout, see how that reacts to the formula. And I'll give you one example. It wasn't until last summer, it was sometime in July, that we discovered there were 60 community schools throughout the state of Ohio who actually own their own buses. Well, if they own their own buses, then they ought to be compensated the same way we compensate public schools, correct? So we had to do a stop, figure out how to incorporate that into the whole scheme of things. That slowed us down again. How do we fund e-schools? That's another challenge. What, what's fair to fund the gifted students? That's why you'll notice in this bill, there are a number of studies that we need. There's answers we don't have. We've also created a commission, an ongoing group that will make adjustments on the fly after the results of these studies come back. I mean, we're talking about going into the, a big black box here, trying to do the best we could with limited information and a big time train heading down the tracks toward us in the end, what I'm saying is when it came to December and that vote was there, we knew 
that we really should have been working the Senate at the same time, but we just didn't have the resources nor the time to do all of it. So it's poised now to move quickly through the House, and we've had those conversations with the Senate, and we'll see what happens over there. But right now, I mean, it is, it is very comprehensive. I feel very comfortable promoting it, and I did before, but it's, it's time has come. It's time has come. And my understanding is you're still working, even having left the legislature because of term limits, you're still working to get this passed. We have a conference call once a week to keep moving this along. In fact, today is Monday, the 22nd. I'm headed down to Columbus tonight because the next three days, it's going to be heard in the primary secondary subcommittee, that, that, that particular committee that will make this determination. So yes, I'm still actively involved. And one of the cases you're trying to make is that this is not just about schools. This is about entire communities. When we have the competition for levies, everyone loses. Absolutely correct. School districts are forced to go to the ballot, sometimes early, knowing that it might take a loss or two before they're able to actually get a levy passed. Again, not knowing what the state is going to do. Remember that five-year forecast. So as a result, A lot of times districts are on the ballot and then the voters are forced to decide, do I support my schools? Do I support the fire department? Do I support roads and levy? Do I support the the cemetery? So there's this levy competition that would be, be eased, if you will, when schools are able to know and predict with fair amount of accuracy what is coming their way as a result of a funding formula that actually works. It's going to make that less of an issue for many citizens who vote all the time. And it's going to make it less of an issue for the municipalities themselves who are in competition with the schools for those resources. Right. And, and Katie, there's something else before our time runs out. We need to look in the, in the long term here. This pandemic has allowed many people to work from home. And as such, if we can work from home, and I think that many businesses won't actually open up their offices anymore to reduce the overhead to allow people to work from home. That being said, if people are allowed to work from home, now they can live wherever they want to. And if we have broadband in Ohio, and I support that broadband initiative, by the way, that just made its way through the House and the Senate, if we have effective broadband, then Ohio becomes enticing, especially some of the rural areas, where there is their offerings, uh, is especially if, if you're an outdoorsy type person. Well, why is it, what's that have to do with school funding? After employment, then people look for housing based on what? A quality education for their kids. And with a fair school funding plan in place and districts able to bring about programming that is effective not only for, for the vast majority of kids, but programming that may be important for that particular district that people would like to see. Once districts are able to do that, then some of our areas will see, in my opinion, a a renaissance, if you will, in terms of young people coming back to settle. Now they can work from home. Now they can send their children where they wish to in, in our public school systems. And then beyond that, if they can settle near their parents, now grandparents, what better case is that? And I, I think I know a young person from OEA who feels the same way, don't I, Katie? Hey, that, that young person is me. That young person, we'll, we'll say young, moved back to Ohio last year, 
to be closer to my parents. But the biggest consideration for me when we were looking for a house is exactly what you said. We wanted to be in a good school district. When we can make every school district a good school district, every community can thrive. That's right. And that's why if Ohio is truly going to be a progressive state, if we're going to be the leader, quite frankly, that we once were, the mother of presidents, right? And a major influence in in terms of policy and politics throughout our nation, then we have to attract and retain the very young people that we've been educating for so long. Sometimes I feel sorry for young folks when they follow jobs and and, and there's this this inner pang that you discovered that you want to be close to your family too. Well, broadband can change that. And then a quality school system where parents feel comfortable and wanting to be uh, having their kids educated there, it doesn't get better than that. And it's finally, finally, however many years after DeRolf, what are we, 24 years after DeRolf, finally within our reach. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm excited about that. Dr. Patterson, thank you so, so much for taking the time to explain this bill to us and how it really impacts the entire community. Thank you. And thanks for all the good folks at OEA who continue to toil in the fields to raise our children for the next generation. Make sure you subscribe to Education Matters wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on this issue and everything else that's impacting the education landscape in Ohio. You can also connect with the Ohio Education Association on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at OhioEA. Or you can always send us an email at educationmatters at ohea.org. We welcome your feedback and your ideas about what you'd like to hear on future episodes. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.